Oh, no. I have pressed the button and my light isn't flashing because it stays on, but I know the numbers are moving. What are you doing? My numbers are moving and I'm watching you try to brenter this podcast while your country is Brexiting. Well, I'm not sure if we're Brexiting or not Brexiting. That's part <laughs> of the problem at the moment, but never mind. Ah, oh, see, but let's not let's not go down that road because that would be far too controversial. And um, of course, um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll let you off. So, I'll let so you why off. Don't you, why, don't, why don't we talk about something um, far less controversial, like tabs versus spaces, or dot syntax and Objective C? I think that's a fine idea. No, um, I was going to say. Uh, well, let's just dive right in and tell me how how are how is life in the world of of avsync avsync <laughs> okay um i think he's going okay actually and i'm not really going to talk about the technical side of sync today uh other than to say testing sync is interesting um particularly when the sync is intelligent about not you know, about being as efficient as it can, you obviously need multiple machines or at least multiple virtual machines to test sync and then to ensure it's doing the right thing is challenging. It makes automated testing uh, very difficult. I'm not going to say impossible because I'm sure it is, but it's it's uh, uh, very difficult. So, um, yeah, so in theory... Yeah, it all looks like it's working. But, you know, theory is a great place to live because everything works in theory, um, whereas in reality it's not. So, so yeah, my my focus has been a little bit sort of um, uh, to one side on that this week. We've been talking more about onboarding and trials and how you um, how you handle that because one of the things that uh, because we're doing our own syncing service is people are going to need an account. Uh, to do syncing um, now obviously you want people to be able to do syncing during a their free trial because you know one of the things that I think people will test out on a financial management software is can they use it on their phone as well as their Mac and do data entry on their phone but you know do big stuff on the Mac or whatever you know people use it's it's a product that is likely to be used on multiple places um, in there so you want to do it so yeah, you know, the the big question that kept us entertained at the whiteboard for many hours this week was, okay, but at what point in an onboarding process do you ask someone to create an account? Because, you know, um, you know, the general view here was if you download, uh, and this is where it's really hard because I think developers are particularly fussy and we're particularly demanding, and so I'm not always sure that what we think is the right choice or what we think is a problem is a problem to everybody else. But it's really hard to know because it's. You, know, you cannot think outside of your own views. It's almost impossible to do that. Um, you know, so the question is, you know, the thing was, you know, a lot of people, or we feel a lot of people, or I definitely know of people who, if the, you download a trial piece of software and the first thing it asks you to do is create an account, especially if that account needs your email address, um, and the reason we need an email address is so we can do password recovery type of stuff, that's quite off-putting, and lots of people would just say, well, I can't be bothered to do that straight away, or I don't want to do that straight away, or I don't want to give you any information until I've even seen what's going on. Um, so where do you put that in the process? You know, now we, we need an account for several things in the app, so do we wait until the first time someone 
tries to do something that needs an account, and then you ask them to uh, create an account at that point. But you know, the argument there is that, well, now they're in a workflow where they were just attempting to do something. Um, now you're sort of interrupting that workflow maybe too strong because this is part of the workflow, but it doesn't feel to them like part of the real job they were doing. Uh, now, unless, of course, actually, if they were trying to sync, that might be different because that does feel like syncing, setting up your sync account. So we've mainly been arguing all week, arguing is too strong a word, debating and talking in different Slack channels about, you know, where do you put this stuff in onboarding? So I'd be interested to know, what, what would, you know, does this sort of stuff, you know, affect you when you're trialing software? Do you not care? Are you just like a, yeah, I understand that, get it? Well, how, how does it fit for you? I think partly there's a generational thing, and I think that financial management is probably your your target demographics a little bit older and less likely to to freely give all this information. And while you were thinking about while you were talking about this, I was remembering fondly one of the best things I learned from NS conference in Atlanta, um, uh, which was a, a session w- with uh, Matt Gemmel, um, and. He, he, I, I, I credit him in the discussions there for for setting me on a better path with Memory Miner for doing a, a first run experience, where I basically, you know, loaded a, a pre made library so people could get an idea. And I'm wondering if it's at all possible for you to have a type of dummy account um, that you could create or generate one. I know that you need an email address for for recovery purposes, but would there be a way of saying, okay, here's here's a newly minted demo account? with a like a, a brain dead simple login and password so that somebody could could you know do something but it, it, while i was thinking about it, it's like if you create a dummy account which is not their data y- you know then you run the risk you 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 basically say well put whatever data you want and and and, and pretend that you just got you know were able to add $10,000 in salary for today and they could almost have fun doing that saying oh i just got $10,000 that i added on my my iphone and oops you know on my mac i realized that i have to make a $10,000 home improvement or whatever and they could play around with kind of monopoly money which might might could be good on the other hand Part of what you're trying to do with the first run experience, or rather a starting thing, is to get people hooked on it. So if they start entering actual data, that may then you know make it so that they say, oh, "Okay, I'm really all the down the line. Let me keep going." So it could go either way. Um, I think that you can probably get away with 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 you could probably get away with deferring the sync until further time, but then then you have the burden of having to explain. So there's there's not a good answer. I mean. But in talking through it, I think what you pointed out earlier is, is important. Is that how how you as developers think about what people want? Maybe it'd just be a good idea to to talk to two or three customers and, and ask them kind of what what would you what would you, what would we feel like? Because I can say that you know at Netflix we do kind of calls all the time, qualitative research, um, where we will you know we'll build prototypes, we'll we'll ask a lot of people a lot of questions and and show them you know show them software and then ask them like how would you do this? And we don't tell them. We don't. We just basically say that if, if given a task, could you figure it out? And so, you know, you might be able to say, okay, here's an, here's an app. How would you if you wanted this data to come onto your Mac? How would you do it, right? And if that if that's possible to go out into Greater Metropolitan Tetbury and do your own qualitative research, or maybe ask some existing you know uh, MoneyWell users. Yeah, I think our problem partly is here as well. Um, if we went out and asked customers, now customers have already had sync in an older version of the product, which worked mm. in a different way. Um, 
So, for example, uh, Moneywell is document-based, but you could only ever sync one document um, because it was the syncing was set up at an app level, so you had to basically pick a document that was going to be the one that synced and all the other documents weren't synced, where, you know, we're making sure you can sync any document you make in Moneywell, so uh, we have a slightly different thing there. Um, syncing was done through Dropbox, so the concept of connecting to Dropbox to specifically to sync was actually a bit of a flaky process and in there, and it was different. But even though there had all those problems, I'm pretty sure if you go out and ask customers, how would you like sync to work, they're just going to say the way I always used to because I got it, because they forget how hard it was for them to work out syncing the first time or how many emails they sent to support to work it out or how many times they read the blog post to try and make it work. Um, now it works, and so they get it, and they don't want to change it. Um, mm. And it's funny, people, people it, it's, you know, it, it's, I'm sure you've been in one of those situations where you fix bugs in software and then people complain at you because they got used to the bug and they'd find a workaround around it, and now they don't want to not do the workaround because it's their workflow <laughs> type of thing. Um so, yeah, so I, I'm not sure, yeah, I, I think we will do, I mean, this is why, you know, our, um, our, you know, our immediate response all the time, well, this is why people do A-B testing, uh, <laughs> is yeah. to exactly work out this type of thing, you know, you have a thousand people download it, and they immediately get to ask to set up an account, how many do it, versus a thousand people download it, and are asked later on how many do it type of thing. But, you know, when you're trying to get a piece of software out the door, uh, you've had customers waiting for this, you've just got to make some decisions. Um, um, we have, I mean, we have made the decision to not immediately ask for an account. Um, uh, when you create, the way we're going to do it is when you create a new document. Uh, this is This is like a weird one because the reality is you're going to be asked you're going to be asked within maybe a few seconds of when it would have been before, but we feel it might feel different because you're going to download the app and you're going to fire it up and it's going to say, you know, you're going to start creating a new document and it's going to ask you a couple of questions about that document that you're going to create. So that feels like you're now making progress towards doing your budgeting and whatever else. And and then it's going to ask you, you know, do you want to sync this document with Moneywell on other devices? Uh, and of course, the moment you say yes to that, you can then create an account if you don't already have one registered because it feels part of the process. So it might only be a few seconds afterwards. But, of course, if you're not interested in syncing because you just want to try the um, the, the app out at this point on the Mac and you don't care about other devices, you can just say no and you don't have to set up an account. Um, and you can always go back and set syncing up on a document later on. Now, how the UI for that works is another set of debates that we're going to have to go through. Um, so that's been our decision. Um, I feel fairly comfortable with it. Uh, but as I said, it's it's um, all guesswork. Uh, I ask these questions on a couple of Slack channels that I'm in with with developers, um, particularly one that's just got sort of you know mainly uh, indie developers in, and particularly Mac indie developers. Um, and um, yeah, the, 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 there was disagreement. Mm, disagreement's too strong. Different opinions uh, around there as well. But uh, that's what we're going for. Uh, but of course, you know the. It creates a more complicated thing to develop because if if when you start the app up, you have to set up an account, everything else in the app from that point onwards can assume an account exists and just get on with it. Whereas if you're not doing anything with an account until you first need an account, that means anything that needs an account now needs to have some form of way of triggering a UI in its workflow to create an account or sign into account um, at that point 
without being, you know, and then come back to what you were doing without losing the position in the most unobtrusive way. So it does actually create uh, a bunch of challenges uh, in other ways as well. Um, the challenges is too strong a word, a bunch of stuff to do. Um, and of course, you've now got uh, uh, this thing popping up in different places. So it's all about, you know, making sure you have reusable views and view controllers that you can use in different places because um you know some are on um uh i've never done has there been an official name you know when you do a, a sequence of steps and you have a next and a back button and a finish and a cancel um on windows for many many years they were called wizards um mm. did the mac ever have a name for those that was different or i can't it, remember it, i know what you're talking about wizards as well ah uh, they might could I don't know, uh, but this raised a question. Do you do you then kind of have a dummy account? I mean, if, if the software is built around the, the idea of there needing to be an account, is there kind of a, a guest mode or a guest account so that, you know, the software will keep doing it as the interfaces will say, okay, you know, here, here's the, the account is signed in, um, but but if it's a guest account, maybe it doesn't have to save or, or whatever. I mean, is there there's something along those lines in it or or... Uh, at the moment, it only needs an account for. It's going to need an account for a couple of things. Um, firstly, you need some way of uh, because because we're not using iCloud, uh, which is obviously the easy way of doing this for just putting things together, um, and we're using multiple documents. There has to be some way to have uh, the iOS version and the Mac version be able to associate that they're looking at the same. Person's data. There's got to be some mm-hmm. way of connecting that. Um, equally, we have to have some way of identifying whose data is being synced. So it's going to be tied to an account. Equally, um, there are... Uh, one of the reasons MoneyWell um, went sort of totally out of date and people started moving away from it is a, a bunch of free APIs that it was pointing out went away. And it was never fixed. And equally, um, it uses direct connection to banks, which is primarily a U.S. thing. So MoneyWell has never had good um, connection support to banks outside of America um, or the U.S. as opposed to all of the American continent. And equally, a lot of banks are beginning to no longer support direct connect or direct connection is, is a way of getting your transactions um and so you know the the sort of standard way going forward of getting this data now is to go through third-party services which have a cost um and that's where you know the whole financing of the software and the cost of the software and how people pay for the software is going to you know be a big you know thing we're going to have to deal with going forward with users because you know as soon as you have a per transaction cost or per person cost or anything cost associated on your software you have to make sure that your software has a way of you know the money you get for it is more than what it's going to cost you to do that and and so the current plan is you know for anything that uh, in order to be able to you know regardless of what the financial model is uh, going forward um, any connection to anything that costs us money will come through an account Um, because then we can spot uh, rogue things going on and stuff like that uh, easier and and also find out people's issues we can see what an account is doing um, so it's not for the day-to-day if you never want to sync your data you never want to look up current exchange rates because you're not doing anything in multi-currency 
you never want to connect to your bank via a more modern method than the methods that are being phased out, then you yeah, you don't need an account. So you could use MoneyWell for its entire time without using an account. But of course, the moment you want to use it on an iPhone or, or the iPad to do some syncing, you're going to need an account. So it's not like you're going to end up you know, with 97 places this has to be done. It's just going to be a few places. But um, And equally, we're still having a debate. If, 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 if it's going to cost us money to be connecting to an exchange rate lookup system, to be working, you know, the banks now, the banks basically are putting you in a position of forcing you to go through third-party vendors to access their their dead data. They don't really want all types of software connecting. They want everyone to use one of a number of um, approved services. And of course, those approved services are going to cost money, which is you know, pointing that way. Um, or they do deals with the big boys like Quicken um, and no one else can get to the data uh, or Intuit to use with Quicken. Um, uh, so yeah, so the whole way that's financed and, and we do that, you know, is are we going to just have, you know, not everyone might want exchange rates, not everyone might want thinking, are we going to have a MoneyWell and a MoneyWell Pro or MoneyWell Plus? And, you know, yeah, everything, every question has got another question. I think we spoke about that a little while ago as well. So, um, but of course it might affect the, the ability to say, well, we're never going to get any more money off someone. You know, say we say we choose that this is a pay upfront software, then we have to be very careful about, uh how some of that works if we choose to go for a subscription-based payments going forward then we have you know a a better chance of getting a recurring income to pay for people's ongoing transactions so um you know it's it's uh and equally we might have the option then to say well if you don't want these services you don't pay for them so but how do you break that down do you have do you pay on a per service basis or do you um uh uh, just you know, have a, pl- a plus model and uh, or whatever, and you do it. Uh, and you look at we look at competitors uh, and see what they're doing. Um, and it's quite interesting the different ways of people doing it. There is no standard way, uh, but it does sort of, you know, everything sort of affects a little bit how you're going to implement it and do it. And you know, I don't want the code full of convoluted lookup stuff all over the place for every little thing, um, or to use complicated frameworks to work out what features are available and not available. I want to keep it as clean and simple as possible. And so, yeah, so it's been a fun week of really uh, trying to work our stuff out and then doing a little bit of it now about halfway through the week. Wow. That is, that is a lot for one week. So tell me about your week, John. I mean, if, if I've satisfied your question. Uh, you have satisfied my questions. Um it's uh it's you know how the closer you get to the release of something the 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 more that's left to do that you thought everything's done everything's done but then you realize no there's you can keep optimizing so uh it's been a little bit more performance tuning and trying to squeeze every last bit of performance i can't remember whether we talked about this before but i'd made a colossal oversight in the way that I was using Lottie. So I'm willing to, to kind of fall on my sword and, and, and admit that I wasn't able, I wasn't. No, I don't. I mean, we've mentioned that you're using um, Lottie before, but we've not, um, uh, we've not talked about your uh, colossal oversight. That's the, uh, is the way you're phrasing it. Uh, so my colossal failure was, was assuming things. And you know how, when you assume you make an ass out of you and me, well, I did just that. Um, so, you know, we do use Lottie a lot and we actually parse the JSON ourselves because we're looking for certain naming conventions and certain, you know, certain aspects of the, the layers that are exported from, from, um, from the, from the Lottie plugin, from the After Effects. Um, uh, 
to be able to, to, to do things like accessibility for animations and to add the interactivity and to make our API work. So if, if, if the After Effects files is made following certain naming conventions, there's no code that needs to be done to make it work. And it's, it's nice. Um, so, but, uh, I always knew that, that Lottie cached their, their, their layers that are created because remember that what Lottie does is it takes a JSON representation of, of an After Effects file and then converts that into a CA layer tree and, and performs a bunch of animations on it. Um, and so you can imagine that that's the expensive part of this equation. It's, it's the conversion from JSON into CA layer tree. And so they, they made a big point in their documentation saying we cache it for performance. Um, and so I just assumed that no matter how you created a Lottie composition and Lottie view, you would get advantage of that caching. And I never really saw any performance problems up until now because most of the times that we've been using Lottie animations, they were in places that were essentially full screen views and there would be one. So you go to open up a display page and, and for instance, there's that that thumb-based uh, uh, you know rec- recommendation. is something thumbs up, thumbs down, or adding something to a list. So a lot of those animations are for views that are getting loaded and they're going full screen and there's just one of them. Now, with some work that I've been doing, there's going to be many, 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 many instances in a, in a scrolling feed. And so you start looking at performance like, uh, you know, with a fine-tooth comb. And then you notice from, from instruments that there's a lot of work in JSON decoding and a lot of work that Lottie is, is doing. And, and I fix the, the, the caching of the JSON because that was, you know, there's a certain amount of overhead for decoding and a certain amount of, of overhead in creating the, the objects that we need from the JSON. And I figured my job was done. Foolish me. So when you actually read through the, the Lottie code, it only caches the, the layer trees if you ask for a, a Lottie animation by name so that it can use that name as, as the key to cache, the, cache the, the layer tree that's created. If you pass it raw JSON, how are you going to make a name out of it? I mean, you could. I guess you could hash it or something like that, but um, they don't do that. And as a result, it was recreating the layer tree, you know, every single time you were using one of those animations, which could be deadly. Um, so that fixed performance went up a whole lot, and that's great. But uh, even when we're still fine-tuning, we have a very fancy you know, animation for loading, which is, is very pretty, and it can be tinted and can do some things. It's much nicer than a standard UI spinner, but that still comes at a cost. And so in looking at, the, at instruments, again, kind of keep deferring, keep deferring, keep trying to avoid having to... to uh, uh, you know, show that loader unless it's absolutely needed. And when you're loading video, it's a very, very tricky thing because oftentimes you may kind of preload video so that you can get the bytes before you need them. Um, and so, you know, AV player gives you state change uh, observation that you can do. So as the, the playback state changes, you can kind of say, hey, is the player loading? Is it stalled? Is it playing? Is it paused? All those different things. And then you can react to that. But since those things can can change very, very often, sometimes it's good to to, to defer doing something expensive unless into such a time that you absolutely know you have it and and you can you can go down a rabbit hole trying to make that the case and and I'm even now considering kind of saying should we wait a little while before we show the 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 animation to you know load that that expensive spinner uh to like wait wait and do a timer and wait 200 milliseconds just to see if under good conditions you know, the video playback can, can be in right away because there's nothing worse than than kind of having a spinner that just shows very, very quickly, especially if there's a complex animation. It itself takes, you know, half a second to, to do a full kind of uh, a full playthrough. So that's kind of been my week. 
So, you, I mean, you really are, I, I guess, is this typical of coming up to the end of a, a release cycle where your features have been done for a while, but now it's like, you know, you've been dealing with the Zib stuff for performance, you're dealing with Lottie stuff for performance, you're obviously bug finding. Is that a fairly typical cycle for you? It, it depends. This thing that I'm working on is, is, is pretty complicated, and I'm working on something that's being used in, in two different tests. Um, and so... Um, you know, so there's there's a lot of leverage for it, which is why kind of every little bit of performance tuning is is, is super important because um, you may think it's fast enough in one context, but then you say in another one it's not quite. Um, and I think it's fairly you have to think about performance from the very beginning, but you also kind of can't optimize too early, and you you have to kind of figure out where do you need to to do these things. So being lazy is is always a good idea, though, and and you could you know. You never know how lazy you can be um, until you actually try. <laughs> and, and there's a guy on my team who I, I love working. I've learned so much from him. And part of the reason why he's so good at performance tuning is that he's had a lot more experience than I ever had on working on much more constrained devices. I think that, you know, when you work with, a, with an iOS device or a Mac, there's no such thing really as a, as, a, as a shitty iPhone. I mean, there is relatively speaking, but even the worst phone that, that we have to support for for the versions of iOS we support, it's got a very fast processor and lots of of GPU and and, and RAM that a lot of other devices simply don't have, um, and so you, it's very easy to become complacent and not notice, for example, that that you're you're showing and hiding a view multiple times and you just don't notice. But but the slower device is, or the more critical it is, the more that you realize, like, oh wow, I really need to debounce things or to have no ops. So you basically say, you know, you, you start adding some state to be able to say, are you in the process of showing something? Because a lot of things are shown with animation. So if you present something with animation and kind of say, am I in the process of showing it? Is it now shown? Am I about to hide something? Is it hiding? Is it now hidden? And when you add these types of things, you can, it makes it possible to be able to say in case a method that is to to show something is reacting from a state machine that itself is changing, like video playback, um, oftentimes something to, to show controls or hide controls may get called multiple times. So it really helps to have those, those no ops. And again, these are things that you, you know, you find at different phases in the development cycle. A lot of times you're just trying to get things work. You're trying to get the animations to work beautifully. And then you have to figure out how to keep the animations from not, you know, sucking up performance because they're getting called and stopped way too many times. So it's, it's, it's exciting. I've, I've, I've learned a lot. So, would you classify yourself now as a, a, a instruments expert? Um, you know, I don't. I, no, I don't think so at all. But I think that you don't necessarily need to be a super. Uh, I mean, you don't need to be a superhero with it. I think there are a lot of things that are very simple. Is that you basically you have to try and kind of divide it into two things. First, you have to know how to to get you know a measurement and to to be able to make sure that you are are kind of. Uh, honing in on the right time. So a lot of times if it, the performance tuning you have to do is like get it to the state and there's certain overheads that you're not going to be able to, to get around, right? I mean, work is going to take the amount of time it's going to take. You can try to do as little work as possible. You can try and spread it out. But at, at some point, then you basically need to decide, is it is it stuff that you can change or not? So like you can't rewrite Apple's code, but you also see, you know, this thing is going to be expensive and this thing absolutely has to be done on the main thread. So, you know, make sure you only do that once, for example. Uh, duh. Other things that, that in themselves aren't terribly expensive. If you do them a lot, that adds up. So 
I think it's it's not so much the expertise in in using the tool because the tool itself is fairly simple. It's trying to figure out what's going on, and then then you you go back to first principles of of laziness, and 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 that just comes from experience. Because again, you just may not you may have no idea how little you know about something until you're forced to to, to look at it. I mean, meaning that thing, things are happening all the time. Computing is so fast, you have no idea that operations are just going on and on and on all the single all the time because you just don't know. It's just it's masked by the the, the sheer capability of the hardware that we have to work with, and it's only when you're forced to that you you then have to to become intuitively good at it so what i guess we're saying is because hardware has been getting better and better and better but our software hasn't necessarily been getting any faster we must be getting worse and worse as developers uh, i think that's safe to say i mean i, I <laughs> <laughs> well i will say one other thing that's kind of interesting in in preparation for for the talk that i'm giving in may i was asked to, to answer some questions and th- this was kind of funny you'll appreciate this it's like they said i noticed from your linkedin page that you know your first jobs in it was is before many of us were even bored tell us what that was like and i i, I enjoyed doing it it's going to be published in russian um i don't think they're going to publish the english so i can share a little bit about about that first question and one of the things that i was proud of is that you know i, I used a mac um when i was in college and uh i was able to do some some clever things with it but at the time when my first job you know we also had a mac and we thought we could rule the world with our single mac plus in our crunky loft space in soho in new york um and so we, at that time, since it was before the, the public commercial internet, if you wanted to move data from one place to another, you had to use direct connect modems. Um, and and so I'm describing it. And the last thing I said, like, I can hear you rolling your eyes as I'm describing this Stone Age technology. When I describe the state of video games to my teenage son, he rolls on the floor dying of laughter. But as I said to him and I say to you now, you know, today's cutting edge Technology is tomorrow's museum piece, and but the trick that is enduring is figuring out how to create something new using existing tools that are there that nobody thought how to combine in different ways. And I, that I stand by. Um, and so I, I think it's the same thing with, with debugging. You know, the techniques for debugging probably have – or sorry, performance tuning. Well, debugging as well. But the, the techniques for performance tuning and debugging in many ways haven't really changed. The tools have gotten better, but, but you know, it, it is true that it's, we can be a lot sloppier now than they, they, they couldn't. I mean, there's always that, that, that famous, you know, page, a famous picture of, of the people who wrote the Apollo Control Center. And I'm spacing. I'm sorry. I remember the, don't remember the woman's name, uh, but she's, you know, standing next to a, you know, a printout of the, uh, the Apollo lunar landing module code and the, the ticks, tricks and, and techniques that had to be used for then would, would put us to shame because we don't ever have to be that 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 good at it anyway that's yeah i don't know you you tell you tell the kids of today that and they just don't believe you they just think you're making it up it's true but anyway well scotty i think that uh the grumpy old men on the porch episode may need to may need to come in for a soft landing since you have to have your warm milk and put on your slippers don't you and I'm just going to make point out one interesting thing is I've felt absolutely no need to talk about the Apple event this week. It was um, like probably one of the most, um, uh, from my point of view, non-events ever. So, and I just find it interesting that uh, yeah, there we are. Anyway, yes, um, we do need to bring it home. So, John, if people need to um, visit you at your home, what's your address, or where should they get hold of you? <laughs> what's your social security number now? Uh, you can find me on the internet as Jembe. Um, that's D J E M B E, like the West African drum. 
And Scotty, where might they bother you? They can bother me on Twitter as Mac Devnet or on Microtoplog. If, if they want to go on your lawn. If they want to come on my lawn. I'm sure what I mean going on my lawn is doing. Uh, yeah, Twitter, Mac Devnet or Microtoplog as Scotty. Of course, they get hold of both of us by sending an email to feedback at iDeveloper. Dot co. Can I? Well, John, it's been a, a pleasure as always. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, one last thing like. is a shout out to our favorite Dave Verwer, who not only noticed that we noticed him noticing us noticing him. It was, we're now we're getting recursive, but hi, Dave, how are you? And also a shout out to Abby Jackson, um, who uh, it, it, it's uh, been in touch with us on Twitter. We love hearing from from these incremental listeners. It's it's delightful. It gives us a warm feeling, and to the extent that we can um, help and, and talk about things that people want to talk about. I'm always happy to do that. Yeah, see, now Dave has shut down App Review Times website. Um, he could probably um, develop, you know, use his web development uh, skills to set up a um, listener listening schedule for so that our, <laughs> our listeners could take their individual slots on the right day. And, and never again will we have to have multiple listeners because of a scheduling uh, mix-up. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> right, John, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Uh, and thanks to everyone for listening, whichever one of you is on duty this week. <laughs> Until next time, you take care. Thank you.